This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So actually, this is actually subhanAllah very funny because I see the domestic violence uh, awareness month in the background too. And I'll actually tell you a true story. Last, so every year we have the ICNA convention, the ICNA mass convention in the United States. And mashallah, it's the largest convention in the United States. So we have about 20,000 people come, mashallah. And uh, two years ago, it was about love in the family. Right? So we had all these talks about romance and all these talks about the way the Prophet used to treat Aisha, his loyalty to Khadija. You know, we had all the beautiful stories of Umm Sulaim and so many different stories. And we talked about domestic violence and you know warning the brothers and stuff like that, you know, about not not being harsh with their wives and, and the prohibition on on, uh, on abusing your spouse and so on and so forth. And subhanAllah, the question and answer session. One uncle raises up his hand and he goes, Brother, what if the wife is abusing the husband? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, we live in a different time and we live in a different day and age, obviously. But um, So I'm going to point out just a few things that I see wrong with this setting. Every time we have a talk on marriage, uh, you know, subhanAllah, this is the only time that the brothers are as attentive as the sisters. <laughs> I'm not joking with you. If I give any other talk, if I give any other lecture, the brothers are falling asleep and the sisters, mashallah, are paying attention and taking notes and so on and so forth and the brothers are just all sleepy. When it's about marriage, all the brothers are tuned in. <laughs> and the second problem is that not many of you guys are taking notes. Except for these two. <laughs> you guys get married? <laughs> So they've obviously, they're preparing in advance, mashallah, mashallah, they're doing a good job because they're preparing in advance. Everybody else is probably just waiting here for me to say what they already have identified in the spouse that they want so that they can say, see, mashallah, the sheikh said I should look for this and this is exactly what I said. So it's all good now, right? This is, uh, alhamdulillah, a topic that I enjoy speaking about. Uh, until about a few hours ago, though, I had no idea what we were talking about when we said the laws of love. Does it mean how to, you know, how to interact with each other inside of the marriage? Does it mean what you look for when you want to get married? And I think, inshallah ta'ala, we'll just encompass all of those things. And we will do question and answer, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll have a chance to, to hear from all of you, inshallah, about how you feel about uh, some of the different topics that we're covering. But, you know, <coughs> there's, have any of you ever heard of Nancy Grace? Yeah? Okay, Nancy Grace is really, really, really annoying. And she's a newscaster from the United States. And subhanAllah, you know, a few, have any, did you all hear about the, I know through Facebook now, mashallah, we're all connected from all over the world. Did you, did you guys hear about the Aisha Khan thing? The sister that disappeared, you know, for some time. And there was this whole fiasco going around. People were changing their profile pictures and events, help find Aisha Khan and so on and so forth. You know, so this, this was a frenzy that was going on in the United States. So Nancy Grace is, you know, she focuses on these stories. She, she identifies the story from all over the country. And she, you know, she'll talk about this story. And, you know, she'll throw in her own two cents. But usually her two cents are more like 20 cents. And she'll talk forever and ever and ever and ever. And she talks about things that are irrelevant. 
but juicy, right? So she brings on the family of this of this woman who's disappeared, and you know, presumably she's been kidnapped. We thought that she, we were our, the community was under the presumption that she was kidnapped. It turned out she was not kidnapped. But you know, you can imagine how how grieving the family is, how much pain the family is in, and. She spends 10 minutes ranting, saying, this seems like an arranged marriage to me. You know, here in, this, here in America, we get married because of love. We don't get married because... How did you know? How did you get to know? She's talking to the husband of Aisha Khan. You can imagine, the guy does not feel like hearing about this stuff right now. And she's sitting there lecturing him. How did you get to know her in the first place? Were you guys hooked up by your parents? You know, did you fall in love first? And basically where she was going with this is that... You know, Aisha Khan probably ran away because of an arranged marriage, right? And subhanAllah, first and foremost, when people say, do we Muslims believe in arranged marriage? I have a problem with, with simplifying, oversimplifying things in the first place. But the point that I'm trying to make is that obviously our deen is under attack in every way. From a societal perspective, you know, from, uh, from in, in every single subject, from a historical perspective, you know, uh, from a political perspective, our deen is always under attack. Right? And people are trying to say that there's something faulty about our deen, that it's backwards, that you know, that you know, we're we're calling everyone to become cavemen again and things of that sort. There's this this is what's happening right now. But statistically speaking, there was an interesting study that was published by Harvard uh, two years ago. They said that if two spouses, if, if two people before marriage were to engage in intimate relationship. Into, were to engage in intimate relations, that relationship had a 69% chance of failing after marriage. I don't know what the divorce rate is like here in the UK, but the divorce rate in the United States is 54% now. That means that when you get married in the United States, you, know, you have a more than 50% chance, you're more than likely to get a divorce after marriage than stay married. SubhanAllah. So it's, I mean... The things that we're being attacked for, and it's like, what exactly are you bringing as an alternative, right? Now, when we talk about marriage and when we talk about the things that you look for, obviously, unfortunately, even whenever we talk about religion, when we talk about faith being the basis of looking for a spouse, you have all of the cultural things that come into that. Do you guys have any matrimonial websites here? Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> you got a few of them, right? <laughs> so, you know, subhanAllah, uh, so you go to some of the matrimonial websites, not that I've ever been, but you know, you go to a matrimonial website and it will say, looking for a 28-year-old dermatologist from Hyderabad, you know, <laughs> it's like all kinds of crazy, crazy expectations from one another, right? And then you'll have a person who's posing in their profile picture, you know, in, in a way that's completely indecent and says, I'm just looking for a good religious spouse. <laughs> you know, so subhanAllah, even the concept of looking for a person for the sake of their faith is completely lost. You know, it's like, are, we, we're, we don't really understand what that means anymore. Now, we go to the Prophet wasallam and the recommendations that he gave. And there's a lot of hikmah in this. There's so much wisdom in what the Prophet wasallam said to look for. Because on one hand, yes, faith is the basis. But the Prophet ﷺ mentioned another intangible thing which is so important. And what was that? That we should look for in a spouse. What else? Deen and what else? Faith and what else? This is a problem. Are you all married already? What do you look for? إِذَا أَتَاكَ مَنْ تَرْضَوْنَ دِينَهُ 
If someone comes to you whose religion is pleasing to you and whose character is pleasing to you. And in fact, in some narrations, the Prophet said, If someone comes to you whose character and religion is pleasing to you. And what exactly is khuluq? See, we understand the deen part. Or we, we somewhat understand the deen part. When we talk about character, we're usually completely lost. What, is it, what does character mean exactly? Does character mean that it's a comedian? Does character mean that it's a nice person? Does character mean that you know, they're up for a Nobel Peace Prize or something like that? What exactly does character describe? Who can give me the definition of khuluq, brothers or sisters from an Islamic perspective? Let's get interactive from now, inshallah, if you don't mind. Who can give me the definition of khuluq? What is khuluq? What is character? Nobody? You understand my American? <laughs> I'll explain what khuluq is then. Who can then tell me a dua that we make that includes the word of khuluq? I'll give you the first part of dua. Allahumma kama ahsanta khalqi, ahsan khuluqi. Oh Allah, just as you have beautified my khalq, my outward appearance, and of course there's a weaker narration, but some of the ulama still recommend this, which is you say this when you're standing in front of the mirror. Right? So you're seeing the, the khalq, you see the creation, you see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you limbs and He gave you a sense of beauty, and you say, Oh Allah, as you have perfected my creation, perfect my khuluq. Right? And khuluq in the Arabic language, and what we can take from this dua, when you say, Allahumma kima ahsanta khalqi, you say, Oh Allah, as you have beautified my external appearance, beautify my inside. So khuluq literally is your inner beauty. SubhanAllah. How can you tell though if a person has inner beauty or not? Now we're talking about something that's impossible. How can you, how can you, you know, how can you analyze a person's khuluq? You can analyze their deed, right, by how serious they are and, and you know, subhanAllah, there's ways to analyze their deen. But how do you analyze their khuluq? And we go to a very, very important hadith, because we're going to break away from marriage for a second. So guys, don't fall asleep on me. We're going to break away from marriage for a second. We're going to talk about the concept of khuluq, because I feel like this is very important to understanding what you look for in a spouse. Right? The Prophet ﷺ, when he was describing a woman, or when a woman that was, des was described to the Prophet ﷺ, that prayed all of her salawat, that fasted, that was observing all of the outward rituals of deen. But she was abusive to her neighbors. The Sahaba came to the Prophet and said, what happened to this woman? You know, her deen was on, you know, was, was on par. She had everything that she was supposed to do from a deen perspective. But she was a very abusive neighbor. She abused everyone around her. Right? None of her neighbors liked her. What did the Prophet say? You guys have to wake up. Or else I'm going to make you do push-ups. That's how we do things in Louisiana. What, what did the Prophet say about that woman? Anyone know? Paradise, hellfire? He said that she was in hellfire. But not only that, the Prophet said something very interesting. Rasulullah said, La khayra fiha She is completely deprived of good on the inside, and she is in hellfire. There is no good inside of her. Meaning if the deen did not translate into inner beauty, and if the inner beauty did not translate into good behavior and good character and good actions, then the deen was just a front. All that was not real. All that was superficial. 
All that was just a cover-up. All that was just putting a pretty face to a very ugly relationship with, with their Creator. Right? Because that did not manifest itself, it did not penetrate the inside. And an obvious indication that it did not penetrate the inside is that they were not observing good character and good manners on the outside. Yes, it is the same thing. Yes, there are ways to tell that a person is ugly on the inside. But at the end of the day, we don't make a judgment about that person's heart or their level of iman, no. But there are ways to analyze the inner character of a person, the inner image of a person. And the proof of that also is that the Prophet ﷺ describes to us a person who comes on the Day of Judgment. He comes with his salah, he comes with his hajj, he comes with his zakah, he comes with his siyah, and he comes to the mizan and he comes to the scale. And in the mizan, what's weighed? What's weighed in the mizan, the, the scale on the Day of Judgment? Your deeds and what else? The book of deeds, what else? You yourself will be weighed on the Day of Judgment. That doesn't mean that if you weigh a lot in terms of physical mass, that you... No, because the Prophet said, You know, Al-Azim, a huge person would come on the Day of Judgment. Someone who's big, you know, huge. But he does not weigh in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the wing of a mosquito. Whereas when the Prophet was describing Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Ibn Mas'ud was a dwarf. I mean, in the, in, the, in the physical sense, was a very, very small person. Extremely small, unusually small. And one time, as he was picking a siwak from the tree, from the arak tree, the wind blew him up, subhanAllah, into the tree. That's how small he was. And his legs were exposed, and the Sahaba started to laugh at his legs. And the Prophet said, what are you laughing about? What's so funny? They said, Ya Rasulullah, look at his legs, they're so small. That's what we're laughing at. The Prophet says, you're laughing. But these two legs on the Day of Judgment, each one of them will weigh the weight of Mount Uhud. SubhanAllah. So the scale of Allah on the Day of Judgment is different from the scale in this life. Thank God, right? <laughs> it's different. But you yourself will be placed in the Mizan and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will weigh the good of you. SubhanAllah. Meaning Allah will weigh what? Your khuluq. Your khuluq. Allah will weigh your character. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will weigh it. And so this person, the Prophet says, he comes on the Day of Judgment, he has all of the outward actions and manifestations of deen. وَلَكِنْ سَبَّهَادَ He slandered this person. He hit this person. You know, he was rude to this person. SubhanAllah. He backbited this person. So what happens? All of those people then come, and the only currency that exists on the Day of Judgment is what? Your deeds. So he's giving his good deeds to that person. So the, those people that he harmed, because of his bad character, they're coming and they're taking all of his good deeds, until he runs out of everything. All of his good deeds, and the only thing left are his sins. And so he has nothing left to give, right? And so the people that he hurt would come to him, and they would start giving their sins to him. They start putting their sins on him. Look at the situation of this person. This is who the person Rasulullah called on the Day of Judgment is Muflis. Al-Muflis. Atadruna man al-Muflis. Do you know who the bankrupt person is? A person who is completely bankrupt. Now all of this tells us something very important. That whenever we look for a spouse, when we look for deen, that does not necessarily mean I look for the one who memorizes the most Qur'an. That does not necessarily mean I look for the one who is the most strict. 
right? Or the most conservative. Because sometimes people have those things, but they don't have good character. And the Prophet ﷺ was, as Aisha described him, his khuluq, his character was the Qur'an. Qur'an yamshi fil ard. He was a Qur'an walking on the face of the earth. Meaning what? The Prophet ﷺ was such a pleasant person. SubhanAllah. He wasn't just receiving legislation, no. You could, there have been books written about the romance of the Prophet ﷺ. You know, the character of the Prophet ﷺ, the etiquette of the Prophet ﷺ. And you can imagine, whenever the Prophet ﷺ said, خَيْرُكُمْ خَيْرُكُمْ لِأَهْنِي The best amongst you is he who is best to his wife. Um Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha says, صَدَقْتَ ya Rasulullah. You told the truth, O Messenger of Allah Meaning what? When your wife testifies on your behalf and says, yes, he was an incredible human being. And it wasn't because the Prophet <coughs> was alive, because even after he passed away, it would still be said, صَدَقْتَ ya Rasulullah. You told the truth, O Messenger of Allah Because deen to the Prophet was not just legislation, was not just ritualistic in its nature. It was not, it was not just superficial in its nature. Because if you reduce deen to that, then it becomes just like beauty, just like wealth, just like other types of status. It becomes superficial in its nature, and it's no longer worth pursuits. SubhanAllah. The Prophet ﷺ was a pleasant person, right? كَانَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ بَسَّامًا ضَحَاكًا This is an amazing hadith that Aisha ﷺ describes the Prophet ﷺ. He was always smiling and he was always laughing. And the laugh of the Prophet ﷺ was just a very large smile, right? But not only that, but Aisha ﷺ said بَسَّامًا ضَحَاكًا Which means that not only was he always smiling, he would make everyone around him smile. SubhanAllah, that's what Bassam means. He wasn't just Basim, Bassam. Not only was he always laughing in his way, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, everyone around him was laughing, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Meaning he was a pleasant individual, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. People loved to keep his company. People were not afraid of him. People did not want to stay away from him. So when you go looking for deen, what is it that you're looking for? You're looking for the deen from the outward aspect of practice and you're looking for the inward beauty, the internal beauty, or at least that which is apparent of it in terms of actions and character and good behavior and good morals. And those are the things that the Prophet ﷺ told us to look for. Are the other things permissible? And you would notice that when the Prophet ﷺ, he said that you could marry a person for their beauty, physical attraction, or you could marry a, a person for their status, or you could marry a person for their wealth, or you could marry them for their deen, you could marry them for their faith. And Rasulullah said, فَقْفِرْ بِذَاتِ الدِّينِ تَرِبَتْ Choose the deen, make the deen your basis for going out and looking. May your hands be covered in dust. And subhanAllah, this is something that the Prophet is giving us, the mercy and wisdom of Islam. It's, is it permissible to marry someone for their beauty? Yes, it's permissible. Is it permissible to marry someone for their money? Where's the ATM? <laughs> but the answer is yes. No, it's okay. No, the point's gone. Anymore. But it's permissible to marry someone. It's permissible to marry someone for their money? Yes. Is it permissible to marry someone for their status? Yes. But is it wise? No. Are these the ingredients? for a long-lasting, healthy, 
fruitful marriage? No. Can they be factors? Yes. Can they be factors? Yes. But are, should they be the basis of what could become a fruitful marriage? Absolutely not, because these are things that are superficial in their nature. They can be complements to the basis, which is the deen. Right? So whenever you get married, yes, you should be attracted to your spouse. Yes, there, there should be an element of attraction there. There is no doubt about that. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ was not unreasonable. You know, sometimes people brag, subhanAllah, especially, you know, our, 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 our dear beloved generation that came down to us and they say, you know, I married your mother without having her seen her one time. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, that was a pretty, that could have been a pretty disastrous decision. Because <laughs> what if the first time that you saw each other was wedding night and, uh-oh. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good because the Prophet ﷺ, what did he advise the young men who came to him asking? He said, you should go and look at her. You should go look at her. Meaning what? It's not that she has to, she has to be, you know, uh, Miss Mecca at that time or something like that. But, you know, she fulfills the minimum requirement of attraction. Right? You're attracted to her. That's important. Right? And at the same time, yes, some sisters, you know, subhanAllah, you should know what you're, what you're getting into when you marry someone who's having financial troubles. If you can handle that, alhamdulillah. But if you're coming from a, from a household where you've been spoiled your entire life, and then you go and you marry a guy who's just making ends meet, that's, that's the ingredient for a disastrous marriage. So it can be a factor, yes, that the person's well off, that he's stable, right? And you don't want someone who's low in society and those types of things, fine. You know, especially if you come from a higher level of society. That can be a factor, right? We saw it with uh, Zayd and Zainab, both righteous people. But their level of status was a factor. It was a factor, okay? So these can be factors, but the basis of looking, and identi looking for a spouse and identifying a spouse should be the things that will last forever, which are deen and khuluq and character. Right? Is it always going to be a successful marriage? No. There will be times that someone will get suckered into what you know into a marriage, and you will believe that you're marrying Mr. Right, and Mr. Right turns out to be Mr. Wrong. That happens sometimes. Look at Asiya, Right? Asiya was a good woman. She thought she had Mr. Right. She thought Fir'aun was Mr. Right. Asiya was an honorable woman even before Islam. You know, as the, again, we're talking about khuluq, we're talking about character. Character shines even without a snap. Because the Prophet said, that people are like precious stones. You know, they're gems. The best amongst you in the days of ignorance are the best amongst you in Islam. Islam does not do away with good character. Islam polishes good character. Islam you know, channels good character in the right direction. Right? So subhanAllah, there are some situations like that. There are you know, factors that come into play. But, but, at the end of the day, you look for what has the best chance, and you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are so many things that come into play here. Number one, what is something that you should be doing when you want to get married? As far as ibadah is concerned. Salat al-istikhara. Now here's the funny thing, sometimes people come and ask me, Shaykh, I want to pray istikhara and things of that sort. And then it's like, okay, you know, can you tell me what istikhara is? So basically, you're saying to the, you know, you're making a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if this is good for me, make it easy for me. If it's bad for me, take it away from me. 
And then some people have said this to me. Some people said, but Shaykh, I don't want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take it away, even if it's bad for me. Can I just make dua for that person in particular? It's like, fine. Then what's the point of praying istikhara? Then I have a real, and this is why, by the way, when you look for deen, knowledge is so important. This was a, a, a situation that happened with me. I'm not even making this up. SubhanAllah. When we're talking about istikhara, by the way. So I think we all can agree that with our cultures, we have some very, very weird practices when it comes to istikhara sometimes. So here I was, you know, fresh imam in New Orleans six years ago, and I'm thinking to myself, SubhanAllah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some matchmaking now. And people are coming to me saying, you know, look, you know, can you find... Can you find a husband for my sister? Can you find a husband for my daughter? And then the brothers are coming to me, and there's, you know, and the sisters are coming to me. And subhanAllah, I'm thinking to myself, all right, matchmaking time. The problem was, of course, that every time I would find a proper match, that person would happen to be from a different country. SubhanAllah, and the parents would just not have that, right? Because we say we're not racist. We say we're not racist. But whenever, whenever someone comes knocking on your door that's not from your tribe and whose grandfather did not ride a donkey with your grandfather somewhere, it's like, no, 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 we're not having that. We're not racist, we don't have a problem with you, but we're not having that. Right? Whereas Abdurrahman ibn Awf approached Bilal ibn Rabah and Habashi, an Ethiopian who was a freed slave, to come and marry from his family. Because we're looking for deen and khuluq, right? Who was better than Bilal so anyway, it always turned out that, you know, we have a Daisy and then we have an Egyptian. Alright, next. We have a Hyderabadi and we have someone from Karachi. Next. Didn't work out. We, and it's like, why is this happening? So finally, I finally got a match going. Two doctors, mashallah, because the, the girl was a doctor and the family said, our daughter is not going to marry someone who's not a doctor. I said, fine. So I'm a good doctor. Everything worked out. Everything, the ball was rolling. Then the next morning, I get a call from the sister. I'm all excited because this is my first time making the match as Imam and Masjid al-Bakr and I get a call from the sister and she's crying and I said, La ilaha illallah, what happened? The guy might have said something you know, ridiculous, the guy might have made her upset or something like that. And she's saying, Shaykh, I pray this Nakhara and the answer was no. <laughs> And then she said it again. I prayed as the fuck. I didn't say it was no. <laughs> I'm like, like, can you explain to me this istikhara that you're praying? <laughs> so she's still crying and she's explaining to me that in her culture, from her tribe, they take six sheets of paper, they write yes on three, and they write no on the page. <laughs> pray to Rakaat. I'm not making this up. Pray to Rakaat. Put the pieces of paper under your pillow, and then after you wake up, pick one up. <laughs> Seriously. Right? And then how many of you have heard the one about you're supposed to see certain colors in your dreams? Yeah, see? See? That one. You probably still believe that was a stephat. What are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about? You see certain colors in your dreams. Are you crazy? Where are you getting this from? You know, subhanAllah. But, again, we don't understand the concept of istikhara. And then some people pray istikhara the right way, which is to pray to Allah and to make the dua, which is basically, again, Oh Allah, if this is good for me, make it easy for me. If it's bad for me, put obstacles, you know, between me and it. And then if the answer, the, the answer to the istikhara truly manifests itself sometimes in like hardcore obstacles, I'm not talking about like minor obstacles, I'm talking about hardcore obstacles. But you still insist that this is the one. 
So you're not responding to the... You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you clear answers at one point. Everything is going wrong after you pray istikhara, but still, this is the one I want. Right? I'm going forth with it. So you need to trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you need to truly, when you're looking for a spouse, you need to really be sincere and wanting the spouse who has the best deen and who has the best khulu. And here is why, you know, a lot of times we talk about the concept of dating. Right? Are we allowed to date in Islam? Well, it depends how you define dating. Are we allowed to get to know one another before Islam and ask each other necessary questions? Yes. We can sit with each other, you know, in the, in the, in, as long as we're not alone, right? In, in a situation where, you know, one thing can lead to the other, so on and so forth, you know. And by the way, there's khalwa when you're sitting together, there's khalwa on the computer. Also, there's cyber khalwa. Like when you're talking to each other on Facebook chat or Gchat and nobody else is watching, and then you start getting a little bit flirty, and you start, you start noticing that after a week, more smiley faces are popping up. <laughs> like, alright, this is not going, this is not becoming, you know, this isn't to the point anymore, you know, what's happening at this point, right? So, are we allowed to get to know one another? Yes. And in this day and age, in this day and age, I think it's absolutely important for, you know, a, a, a potential husband and a potential wife to sit together and talk before they get married. It is vital at this point because... You know, these days, you know, people have very weird views, have very weird meanings, and then all of a sudden when they get married, it's like, here's, you know, here, here's the surprise. Right? So many different surprises here and there. To get together and to ask each other, to see what their common interests are, their common goals, right? Their views on being. These are so important, right? Not that after they get married, by the way, you're not allowed to work. By the way, you're not allowed to drive. By the way, you know, uh, I, I married a second wife like 10 years ago. <laughs> Wait, what? You know, you were supposed to be Mr. No. You sit together and you and you ask one another. You talk to one another, right? But not in a way that's inappropriate. Not in a way that becomes flirtatious or unnecessary. Right? And does that work? Statistically speaking, it works a whole lot better than the quote-unquote love marriages whenever people come together and whenever people have experimented all of the, the things that they're not supposed to experience until after marriage. And then once they get married, the only thing that kicks in is responsibility. And that really sucks, you know, when responsibility gets kicked into it. It's like, man, you know, I was enjoying myself without marriage. Why do I have to get married now? What's, you know, subhanAllah, why did I add all this undue burden upon myself? And then some Muslims ask, well, why can't, why can't we, you know, we don't, we don't have to sleep with each other. We don't have to commit zina, excuse me, we don't have to do all that stuff. Why can't we just talk with each other? Why can't we just, you know, go out to each other, with each other, watch a movie, hold hands, things of that sort? And I'll explain to you why. At that point, and this is just human emotion by the way, do you or do you not think that your decision will be biased after that? Think about it. The whole thing has become slanted at that point. Right? Because you're infatuated, and you might be taking that as being love, but you're infatuated. Right? You've already experienced the face that the person puts on outside. You've already experienced some of the, the joys and things of that sort. Right? And so your decision making is now flawed. Right? And at that point, let me tell you what happens. And this happens in MSAs or ISOCs or whatever it is, in different, different college organizations, different Islamic organizations. People have gotten to know one another. Then, Shaykh, I want to marry her. Why do you want to marry her? Because she's religious. Okay. Why is she religious? Because at that point, your decision making is flawed. you know why? Because everything she does at that point, or everything he does at that point, you're going to interpret it as being religious. 
Like Sheikh Mashallah, she's so good, she prays. The other day, the other day I saw her driving and she was listening to Surah Al-Rahman. See, you will force her to be religious. You will force them to be religious, even if they're not religious at that point. Why? Because you've already made up your mind. And your decision-making is flawed at that point. Your decision-making is flawed at that point. Right? So subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us an opportunity. You pursue a person for deen, and you pursue them for khuluq, and you pursue them thinking, you know, putting all of the factors into play, because this is an extremely important decision. Right? And, and you can imagine, subhanAllah, why is there so much adab, so much punishment that comes from just, uh, you know, continuous dating, and testing the waters here and there. You know, subhanAllah, a lot of times, just ask, the, ask the, the people that, or some of you may have been in the situation where you used to do this, and then now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided you and things of that sort, when you used to date. That's hell. That's torture. Right? You invest yourself emotionally into something. You tell, you, you tell someone all of your secrets, and then all of that falls apart, and then you go, it's, it's like a roller coaster. Next person. Right? You go through that, you experience the joys, you think that this is the right person, and then boom, that's done too. And you keep going and going and going and going. And then once you get married, what makes you think that you're going to be able to have a happy marriage? You're already used to relationship failure. You've already been with different people, so you'll get sick of your spouse very, very, very quickly. And then you say, why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doing this to me? Right? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put me in an unhappy relationship? Think about that for a moment. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives us, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنْفُسِكُمْ إِلَيْهَا from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for those who think and who contemplate, He created for you spouses from amongst yourselves. And here are the functions of a marriage. A second in the Arabic language is what? Your home. Right? You dwell with that person, you find comfort in that person. What are the functions of a home? Right? Mawadda is to want to please someone else. وَرَحْمَةً and compassion and mercy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts these things between the spouses. Right? And they grow together. They learn about each other over time. And you know what? They're, they're, they're learning to love everything about each other and they're looking at each other from the lens of deen and khuluq. So even when these superficial things start to fall apart, because guess what? If you're beautiful, you get older. Right? Whenever the beauty starts to fade away, if money fades away, right? If the money starts to go down the drain too, how many marriages fall apart because of financial troubles? Right? SubhanAllah, I mean, I was, I was reading something in Newsweek, I remember, uh, maybe a year ago, that was talking about the effect of the economic crisis on marriages. That marriage cannot stand on its two feet anymore. Why? Because the money's gone. Everything's falling apart. So the things of Deen and Khuluq aren't there to hold that marriage. Right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us those things. You make that the basis. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, They are a garment for you, and you are a garment for them. So essentially, whenever I go looking for a person, I'm looking for a person who's... Am I looking for a person who's less than me in deen? Who I can correct and I can bring to my standard of deen? Like, yes, yeah, she's really pretty and she has potential. Or he seems like a really good guy, he has potential. Do I look for someone who has potential? Do you walk into a supermarket and see a cloth, you know, see a shirt that's hanging and say, hmm, this shirt has a lot of potential. If I take it home and I cut it up, no, if it's not ready for me, 
if it's not ready, if this is not, this is not the shirt that I'm going to be able to put on tomorrow that's going to immediately beautify me. I don't want that shirt, right? So, subhanAllah, I don't look for potential. I don't even look for someone who's just equal to me in deen. What do I look for? I look for someone who's better than me in deen so that they can cover my faults and beautify me in those same spots where I know that I'm lacking, right? I know that, that I can do better, right? So I look for, for someone who's better in deen to make me that better person, right? And khuluq, because khuluq is important too. Yes, there are some people that on the way to becoming religious people turn up, subhanAllah, I always say this, you know, on your way to becoming a religious person, don't become a crappy human being. Seriously. So some people on their way to becoming religious become jerks somewhere along the line. Right? Become judgmental, become arrogant, become prideful. They start to think that they have understood the Qur'an and Sunnah and everybody else is upon falsehood and you, you know, the truth lies through me and things of that sort. You avoid those types of people. Trust me, those people are worse than the ones that don't have deen or khuluq because they're using the deen and they're just adding that into their superficiality. Right? You look for those things that can, you know, you look for that person that wants to grow in the deen. And if the priority is deen, if the priority is akhirah, then you will see incredible things happen and you will see that that relationship will be able to withstand the trials and the other things. And I'm going to end with just one story. This is a very powerful story, story and it shows you what the deen is about. You know, it shows you that the, how deen can actually infuse love inside of a relationship. You know, there's a hadith from the Messenger said before I even tell this story. It's a beautiful hadith, right? Imam Ahmed rahimahullah narrates it in his Muslim, it's an authentic hadith. The Prophet said, Rahimahullahu imra'an, qamu min al-layli fasalla, wa aiqada imra'ata fasallat, fa in abat mawha fi wajhiha al SubhanAllah, may Allah have mercy on a man who wakes up in the middle of the night to pray. Right? He wakes up for Qiyamun day. So he wakes up his wife to pray, and she refuses. You know, and she, or she stands up and prays, and if she refuses, he goes and he takes a little bit of water. Okay, he doesn't go and take a flower pot or a hose, right? Or, you know, a water gun. No. He goes and he takes a little bit of water, he sprinkles it on her face so that she can wake up and pray with him. Right? And then Rasulullah said, وَرَحِمَ اللَّهُ عِمْرَأَةً قَامَتْ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَصَلَّتْ وَأَيْقَدَتْ زَوْجَهَا فَصَلَّتْ فَإِنْ أَبَى نَضَحَتْ فِي وَجْهِهِ الْمَاء And may Allah have mercy on a woman who wakes up in the middle of the night. This is a two-way street, remember? This is a two-way street. She wakes up in the middle of the night to pray. And she tries to wake up her husband to pray too. And if he refuses, she takes some water and she sprinkles it into his face, right? To wake him up, right? Two people that are growing in the deen together. Two people that are looking for something that cannot be given to them in this world, but they know is guaranteed. So long as the other person is capable of getting me closer to that goal, then that person is a valuable asset in my life. It's as simple as that. So long as I can see this person as someone who's bringing me closer to my goal, so if my goal is akhirah, then I need that person in my life. Right? SubhanAllah. You know, and, and once you start seeing marriage that way, rather than just, you know, you know, of course you start off with the right way, you start looking for deen things of that sort of, but as long as you see marriage in that way, rather than just a trial run. Because in this day and age, honestly, you go into a marriage, and that possibility, that looming possibility, that this might, be, this might not be the right one, is always there, and that haunts you, and at the end of the day, it's almost like you have more than a 50% chance of getting divorced. Even in the Muslim community, by the way, divorce rates are going up. Why? Because they start for the wrong reasons. They're built upon faulty foundations. Right? So they're not able to hold that pressure. 
they're not able to withstand it. So, subhanAllah, but if we looked at it with the sense that this is something that's permanent, I have to make this work only under, you know, only under extreme circumstances. Am I going to let this fall apart? Then you'll make it work, inshaAllah ta'ala. You'll compromise to, for the other person. You'll compromise to make things work. Why? Because at the end of the day, what I married this person for, Dean, they still got that. And they're still looking for the same goal I'm looking for, and we're helping each other get there, inshaAllah. And I'll end with one story, because this is something that's a very, very touching story. And just to give you some background of the story, it's about Abu Darda radiallahu ta'ala now before I talk about Abu Darda and, and, and what I want to get to, Abu Darda was someone who narrates the hadith about the virtues of knowledge, right? He's someone who traveled around the world seeking and teaching Islam. He had a lot of knowledge and he was overly enthusiastic about, you know, about the deen whenever it came to him. So whenever the Prophet paired off the Ansar with the Muhajireen, right? Whenever the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, every Ansari, every local of Medina, hosted one of the Muhajireen, one of the people that was expelled from Mecca, the travelers, the, the, those who immigrated from Mecca, right? Hosted them in their house. And the Prophet ﷺ paired everyone, a brother from the Ansar with a brother from the Muhajireen, right? Who was the brother of Abu Darda? Salman al-Farisi radiallahu ta'ala Salman al-Farisi, was he a muhajir? Yes, not from Mecca, but from, uh, from Persia, right? He was, he, he was going around looking for the Prophet ﷺ from Persia. And he found the Prophet ﷺ in the time whenever the Prophet ﷺ had just made it to Medina, right? So Rasulullah ﷺ paired Salman with Abu Darda. Whenever Salman gets to the house of Abu Darda, and this was before the ayah of hijab had been revealed, Okay? The ayah of hijab, the command of hijab was not revealed until four years after hijrah. At this time, the ayah of hijab had not been revealed. He sees Umm Darda and he walks into the house and she has a cloth that's beat up. Right? It, it, it doesn't have much, uh, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's got patches all over it, stains all over it. She doesn't, you know, she has blisters on her hands. Right? And he feels sorry for her and she says, uh, where's Abu? he says to her, where's Abu Darda? And she says, smiling with contentment, she says, your brother Abu Darda has no need for this world. Right? So, Salman wanted to get him home more often. So, Salman finds out that Abu Darda is fasting. Salman says, I want lunch. Come to the house and you've got to serve me lunch. We've got to eat lunch together. He brings him home. Forces him to eat lunch with him. Right? And then at night, whenever Abu Darda wants to stand up and pray Qiyam al-Layl, Salman wants to go to sleep. Don't bother me with your Qur'an and things of that sort. You know, he forces him to sleep with his wife, right? To be with his wife. And then they go to the Prophet And Abu Darda says to the Prophet is what he's doing right? You know, he's taking me away from Qiyam, he's taking me away from Qiyam, things of that sort. Right? And the Prophet agreed with Salman and he said, Verily, Allah has a right upon you. Your family has a right upon you. Yourself has a right upon you. Right? So you have to give each one its due right. So your family has a right upon you. So Abu Darda anhu, we can take from that that he improved because he's someone that listened to the Prophet So we can take from that that he improved. But his financial situation was never really that great. Right? Umma Darda anha was someone who used to be around the Prophet from a very, very young age, a little girl that used to play in the masjid and things of that sort. And someone who grew up loving knowledge. Right? Now let's fast forward about 40 years. 
Abu Darda was about to die. And he's with his wife, Umm Darda. Umm Darda never really tasted the sweetness of this dunya because although you can take from this, Abu Darda was surely spending more time with her and things of that sort, he never became a rich man. And she's seeing her husband die. And what does she say to her husband at that moment? She says to him, listen, whenever you came to propose for me in this dunya, you asked my father for my hand, and I accepted. So she says to him, so ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for me to be your wife in al-akhirah. <coughs> Subhanallah, I want to be your wife in Jannah. They were both looking for the same goal, right? Now you could take from that and you could say, you know, that was probably just sweet emotional talk, right? When a person is leaving anyway, this life, they start to talk about this type of stuff and everyone gets, you know, everyone becomes nice whenever death is taking place and things of that sort. This is probably why this was all, that's probably why she said all that. But guess what happens after that? When Abu Darda passes away, she gets a proposal, a marriage proposal. Guess from who? From Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, who was the Khalifa of the Muslims. She gets a proposal. And Muawiyah is someone who is wealthy. You know, he's someone who has status in the eyes of the Muslims, right? He's from Kutab al-Wahi, those who wrote the Wahi. He's one of the companions of the Messenger And he's sending a proposal to Umar Dada. And listen to the response of Umar Dada. She says, I cannot marry you because I'm already engaged to Abu Darda in Jannah. SubhanAllah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What was she thinking of? Where was her heart? Where was her mind? Where was her mission? It was with coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that marriage, even though it did not have the things that we would think make a marriage successful and make a marriage good, it had that ingredient that cannot be taken away by any economic crisis, that cannot be taken away by any aging process. It had the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in it. And you look for a person who's going, to, who's going to be, whenever you marry a person, don't think about that person as just being your spouse in this dunya. Think about that person as being your spouse in paradise. Is this a person that I can see getting to paradise? And we know in the Jannah, if one person makes it to a higher level of paradise from the family, what do they do to the lower one? Does the higher person go down to the lower one? No, come on up. They drag you up. If you have a family of righteous people, if you have righteous children, if you have a righteous spouse, your wife is more righteous than you, and you just made it into Jannah, and she's up there in Al-Firdaus, she will come down and get you and all of your kids, inshallah ta'ala. Right? So whenever you look to get married, look for the person that is befitting to you in this dunya and in the akhirah, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us all with fruitful and with good marriages. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us amongst the righteous ourselves. And we make the dua, even from our childhood, we consistently do make the dua. رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنْ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنْ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنْ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا Oh Allah, grant us from our spouses and from our children the coolness of our eyes, the source of the coolness of our eyes. And make us for the muttaqeen, for the community of believers and righteous imamah. Make us leaders amongst the community of the righteous.